to our passage for consideration this morning, which is Matthew 2, 1 through 12. So turn to it, Matthew 2, 1 through 12, please. And I'll read it to you before we hear about it. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor, that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Let's pray. Father, uh, we ask for understanding. We ask for insight. We ask for clarity. Clarity of thought. Clarity with regard to the heart of what this is all about. The message that it is that you want for us to have. And not just to have to keep, but to have to apply to our lives and to use in our living godly in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. The most unlikely birth. The most unlikely circumstances surrounded the birth of Jesus Christ. Tell me what they are, right? You want to know. Well, first, the fact that God himself, the very king of kings, would be born on this earth. Jesus was the king of the Jews, all right, as we read. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Was the question of the day, but he was more than that. He was king of kings and lord of lords. This is none other than the Lord God Almighty who came to this world, contrary to popular opinion, 
contrary to what the cults teach, that he was just another human being, though exalted. It says in the Word of God in 1 Timothy 6, Our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate. You know what potentate means? He's potent. And in the case of uh, human potentates, they are the ones who rule their particular territories. In this case, the only blessed and only potentate is the one who rules the universe. King of kings, the king of kings, and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can That God did this, that God came for the very purpose of making man, sinful man, at that his children. Think about that in Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 17. I'd like to use our sword here. That's why we have it. We, won't, we need to keep it sharp, you know? Hebrews chapter 2. And by the way, electronic swords are okay. <laughs> but, but you, can't beat a, you can't beat one of these here. Solid. Okay. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, even the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, those that he brings into his kingdom are his, his brethren, his brothers and his sisters, as he would call, call them, as, as the word describes us, who are Christians, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. There's the key. His purpose to reconcile us to God through what he would accomplish by becoming man. And that is to do what he can't do as God, and that is he can't die. And so he takes on a human nature. So he has two natures, divine and human, in order that as God he may die. And it necessarily requires that, that God do this because only God is, is perfect enough to be able to die for others and not for his own sins. Hark the herald. Angel. Now we enter into the scene of time of our particular passage where we encounter other unlikely circumstances of the newborn king. And so number three, how that the most unlikely people seek him. In our first verse, it speaks about wise men. Fact three, does it not? Also called magi. You know what magi are? Well, add a C onto magi and you'll know what they're, they do at the end. And that's magic. At least that's what they claim to do. They practice divination. They seek the future or the unknown through such things as astrology. They study the movements and relative positions of celestial bodies in relationship to the earth or to each other that somehow have an influence 
on the natural world and on our human affairs. That's about as simple as I can break it down for you. The Bible strictly forbids this, according to Deuteronomy 4.19, and I'll just read it to you. Unless thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, shouldst be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all the nations under the whole heaven. In other words, he doesn't want us. Likely places, it says in verse 1, from the east. That's very significant, from the east. A lot of things come from the east that we don't need, that we don't really want if, if we stop and think about what they are. They were from the royal courts of the king of Persia. At least one of them was, and perhaps all three of them, who called himself the king of kings. Did you know that? And, and often such individuals that are of such prestigious uh, monarchies would send congratulations to the new rulers uh, on, on the, down the block, um, as it were, you know, to other realms uh, that are nearby. And that could perhaps explain uh, also the purpose of these three magi. Uh, because beneath it is a way for the king to know his opposition, his competition, with the goal of their elimination. And then also... Magi who are from the most unlikely religious backgrounds, as I've already denoted, who say, for example, in verse 2 of our, our passage in, in Matthew chapter 2, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we've, and we've been following him here. Think they have come to worship another god. Because he goes on to say in verse 2, and are come to worship him. As far as the wise men are concerned, Magi, the wise men, the three kings, however you want to call them, and, and they're described as, as, as all of the above, Jesus was an unknown God. And one of the practices, uh, and I'll just speak of, uh, of, of Greece, was like what the Apostle Paul experienced on Mars Hill on Mars Hill in Athens when he came and saw the inscription on their devotions, on their statues and on their relics and on their uh, uh, stalls where they would have their, their, their various gods all lined up there at Mars Hill so you can come and, and pick and choose which one you want. He saw one that said in its inscription to the unknown God, lest we forget one of the gods, and bring upon us its chagrin or his wrath. And so it says, to the unknown God whom, you, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, Paul says, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein. Seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, because he made it all. So he's come, Paul is sent in order to make it plain that, yes, you left one out, significant one. And in fact, this one, if you leave out, the wrath of God will fall upon you all, no matter who, you, who else you are worshiping and serving and idolizing. 
And he is one that dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needs anything. He doesn't need statues and relics and pictures of, 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 of himself, even of Christ. He doesn't need all that. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. We're dealing with, uh, uh, at least heretofore, an unknown God that we really know, know nothing about unless we go to his self-revelation. Unless we go to his word. And this is where you will know it all. At least as far as what God wants you and I to know. When Paul encountered all of this on Mars Hill, he may as well have been on the planet Mars. But as it turned out, the wise man had another reason for this trip. It appeared that the Holy Spirit was drawing them to Christ, the newborn king. Now imagine this, another human king trying to take out the king of kings. We read about that. We didn't read the rest that follows. I'll leave that up to you to read the rest of this passage in Matthew 2 after verse 12 because it does continue the story of the wise man's exit from the promised land. But let me speak to that momentarily by taking up what we did read, and that is that Herod the king had heard these things and had even said, hey, you guys come over here. You know, I'd like you to, to, to inform me, since you're in my country anyway, of uh, what's going on here. Who is this newborn king that you, you've come to seek out? I've never heard about him. Tell me all about him so that I also may give him a, a letter of, of accolade and recognition and, and perhaps even visit him and worship him. And so... He, they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, they kind of gave him the, you know, the, the general location, the general province, if you will. And, uh, and so he got a tip, but he wanted to know more precisely, of course. And then in verse 7 of our passage in Matthew 2, Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared, and then he sent them to Bethlehem, and said, go and search for this child and let me know, okay? Don't forget. Huh. Was it really for that purpose that he might worship him like he said? Of course not. And when the wise men did not touch bases with Herod, by swinging back on their return trip, Herod went on a rampage and, and endeavored to eliminate Christ himself by killing all the two-year-old's and under in the nation. Can you imagine that? According to verse 16, which reads, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Infanticide. Does it sound familiar? Like legalized abortion, which has stained the hands of this country since 1973. Thank God it has been rescinded, but it's still going on. It's still going on, state by state. David said this with regard to such kings that would, that would do such things. And that includes the king, 
the kings of this present life, of, of, this, uh, of this present generation. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled. But a little, all it takes is a little bit of Jesus' wrath, and you're done for. But blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Christ was born in the most unlikely hamlets of Judea. It says in 5 and 6, For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. R. Aikman wrote, so little was Bethlehem Ephrata, and it did not seem destined to any more commanding place in history when, in latter times, a plain-looking couple drew near the village, a young wife and her husband, traveling on foot because very poor, although both of the lineage of David. They were of royal blood. He goes on, he goes on, for not only was Bethlehem little, but the exceeding low condition to which the family of the great king had sunk appears from the fact that Joseph and Mary, who could trace their pedigree up to David through a long line of kings, were thus poor and received no sort of recognition in the crowded village. They had no way of presenting to that uh, innkeeper their credentials that would have gotten them not only into the end, but when supposedly there was no room, at least that's what he said, but into the best room in the house, the top floor, if you will, of that hotel. It reminds me of the memory verse for next week in Micah 5, 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that shall be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting we're not talking about any ordinary human being that's born in this little town of Bethlehem we're talking about the one who's the very king of the universe that is born into this terra firma in that little out of the way almost unknown corner of the world a most unlikely astronomical phenomena took place. It says in verse 9 in Matthew 2, When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. This star literally took them exactly to ground zero, if you will. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They knew this was it. It didn't move anymore, you see. It stood exactly over the manger. <laughs> Amazing. Do you think that things like that can't happen? Huh, think again. Did you know that this world stood still for 24 hours once upon a time? Yes. It is almost as if God was catering to the astrological fantasies uh, that uh, uh, surrounded this uh, star that was in the east. 
that led the wise men to Christ. But let's not forget who made the stars, right? As uh, David says elsewhere, King David, when I consider the heavens, thy heavens, and the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Visitest him. That's the Middle English way of saying he visited us. He, he visited this earth. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and has crowned him with glory and honor. Psalm 8. Cannot God use it, that is the stars, or, or anything for that matter, as he pleases, even to lead his elect to the Savior? And then Christ was born in the most unlikely place to be found, as I've already noted, but we'll have you know it again. It says in verse 11 of Matthew 2. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Like on the cover of your bulletin. Only I, I, I shroud the face of, of the Savior. And for that matter, of, of any celestial beings, uh, because we're not to make pictures of them unless we worship them. Jesus was born pretty much out of doors. Even though it speaks of a house, it, it's not clear if, if it really was a house that he was born in, in our passage. Um, and then it speaks of a manger, unless uh, a feeding trough is in a house. <laughs> uh, I don't know how. I mean, I have a dog bowl in my house when I had a dog, but uh, I don't think I would have a feeding trough in my house. So the house was some kind of structure for animals, maybe a barn, although that's been... Um, refuted by experts, you know. They think it's probably a cave, a cave where they would uh, store their animals, you know, because there are a lot of caves around the hills of, of, of Bethlehem. And uh, so he was still pretty much born out of doors because, you know, it's open, right? It's open. And so in Luke 2, 6 and 7, I'd like to uh, have us look at that. Luke 2. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Swaddling clothes, by the way, are very, very warm. It's like overdress, but why not? Especially if the weather calls for it, right? It's very cold, I am sure. Although it is questionable whether it was at this time of the year, but in any event, it's not a place where a baby is to be born out of doors. Later in his earthly ministry, he would inform his disciples of the path that was ahead for them when he would say, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He was a homeless person for all intents and purposes during his earthly ministry. Baby Jesus, King Jesus, was born in darkness just as one day he would die in the darkness of night. It says in Luke 23, And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, 
He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And, have thus, and having thus said, he gave up the ghost. And just as King Jesus, baby Jesus, was born between two animals, so he would die between two animals. In Luke 23:33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Malefactors, convicts, felons, murderers, thieves in particular. Uh, someone said the ox and the ass were with him at his birth. He was compelled to breathe out his soul between two thieves. And during his life, he received sinners. And last but not least, the king of kings received the most unlikely gifts. It says in verse 11, back at Matthew chapter 2. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These were expensive gifts fit for a king, at least the first gift, anyway, gold, which was a symbol of divinity. It says in 1 Timothy 3.16 that Jesus is God. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That means he appeared in human form with a human body and a human nature justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up unto glory. Frankincense is a highly fragrant resin, which when burned was an offering to God. And so this gift would symbolize, symbolize Jesus' willingness to offer up himself as a sacrifice for others. As it says in Hebrews 10, 7 and 10, then said I, lo, I come. That is the, uh, the Lord speaking here. The Lord Jesus, that is. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10, 7 and 10. And then finally, myrrh was a spice of Arabia that symbolized our Savior's sufferings. Out of pity, the soldiers gave it to him on the cross to numb his pain. There were some that had actually had compassion on him. And it says in Matthew 27 that they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. That's myrrh. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. It was like poison to his lips. And myrrh would be later used for his embalming, as it says in John uh, 19, 38 and 39. And so let me turn to it. I'm having compassion on you, not having you look up every scripture. <laughs> but there are some choice ones, I believe, that we need to consider, and, and, and this would be one. So in John 19, 38 and 39, we read, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, that is after he, our Lord Jesus, died, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore 
and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. I'll read the last one. Uh, the next one. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Our Heidelberg Catechism asks the question in 37, what dost thou understand by the word suffered? And the answer, that all the time he, Jesus, lived on earth, but especially at the end of his life, he bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole world, in order that by his passion, as the only atoning sacrifice, he might redeem our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtain for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. That's a lot of suffering for one individual. And think about this. One who did not deserve to suffer at all because he is God. And yet, he came as a slave, a slave to his father, beholden to his father's will, which was to do his father's will and to finish his work. And that involved his being born in this world and live, living a sinless life and dying at death of the cross. He came to die. He was born for that purpose, to die for the sins of many. Consider this. Has it ever occurred to you how unlikely a birth, how unlikely a birth was that of our Lord Jesus Christ in lieu of what you just heard? Why he bothered it all to come to save the likes of those three magi and the shepherds who are not mentioned in this particular passage who arrived before them and were around more than likely at the time of the arrival of these three magi. And then later there would be others. There would be those that were like the uh, off-scouring of the earth, the, uh, uh, the people that are on the fringe of society like the harlots and, and, and the publicans. Uh, in other words, uh, the prostitutes and the notorious tax collector thieves who would later come to Christ when no one else would. And then there are, in general, the undeserving sinners like you and I. Paul said, and let me say, all who know the scriptures and who have heard Paul's testimony toward the end of his life about himself in 1 Timothy 1, 14 through 17, who also, like Paul, feel the same way as he did. 1 Timothy 1. <clears throat> 14 through 17. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I 
am chief. What he was saying is that if you want to see a sinner, if you want to see a good example of what a sinner is, look at me. He wasn't parading himself in front of people. He wasn't pompous like others, even amongst his peers. Though he was the Pharisee of the Pharisee, though he, he was punctilious in his attempt to do what Pharisees are all called upon to do, even from a right motive, at least right for an unconverted heathen, but nevertheless one who was endeavoring to be true to his calling, but who was, who was unconverted, who was unsaved, and yet who was brought to faith by the work of Christ. It says, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. If you want to see an example of one, you don't have to look far. And not only Paul, if we could talk to Paul now, we would say to Paul, we who, who have been around for a while, like myself and, and, and even a good number of you, we would say to Paul, not just you, Paul, not just you, but me. Christ came to save me. So with that, I hopefully got your mind thinking about these things and how God takes the things that are not and brings to not things that are. How God takes the foolish things in order to confound the wise, the weak things to bring to not the mighty, that no flesh should glory in his presence, that no flesh should glory except in the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Oh, Father, thank you for this meditation, and may it indeed not just whet our appetite to learn more, but cause our hearts and our minds to indeed be overwhelmed with the greatness of your love and your compassion for sinners, that you would come all this way and go through all that you did for the likes of us who are saved. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, and praise you in the name of your only begotten Son, in whom you were well pleased, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.